Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 684 with Lighty Klotz. Lighty brings a fresh perspective that has kind of changed the way I think about almost every problem I'm trying to solve ever and increases my options available and is already making some cool impacts. So I think you'll love what he has to say about the power of subtraction and how it can actually result in you achieving more. So you'll learn one, what Legos can teach us about smarter problem solving. Two, the trick to overcoming your brain's bias for addition, and three, how subtracting leaves us with more. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we referenced, please drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP684. And if you haven't already, I recommend you check out some of the cool stuff we got there, such as the Gold Nugget email list, which provides summary insight and wisdom from all of our guests and a handy note you can read right from your inbox in about two minutes, as well as unlocking the whole archive of 684 of these such summaries. We call them the Gold Nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Lighty's story. Lighty Klotz is a professor at the University of Virginia, where he directs the university's Convergent Behavioral Science Initiative and is appointed in the schools of engineering, architecture, and business. His research on the science of problem solving has appeared in both nature and science and been covered in the Wall Street Journal and the Washington Post, among many other pieces of media. Big thanks to Lighty for sharing his wisdom with us. Big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Lighty. Lighty, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks for having me, Pete. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm excited to dig into the wisdom you've, you've put forth in your book, Subtract. So why don't we kick it off by you telling us the story of your epiphany that occurred with Legos? Yeah, the epiphany courtesy of my three-year-old at the time. So I was playing Legos with my son, and uh, the problem that we had was that the we were building a Lego bridge and it wasn't level. And so one of the columns was shorter than the, the other column. I turned around behind me to grab a block to add to the shorter column. By the time I had turned back around, my son had removed a block from the longer column. And that right there in front of me was this kind of thought process that I became interested in. And we've since done, you know, tens of thousands of hours 
of worth of research studying and trying to figure out what was going on there. But what was really helpful for me with that moment with the Legos with my son was that I'd, I'd always been interested in less, right? Kind of this end state of things that are better because there's less to them. But what he helped me see in that moment was this act of getting there, subtracting. And he also helped me see it in a very tangible way, in a way that I could actually like go around and even show other people and describe my thoughts to other people. So that proved really helpful as well. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. Yes. Three-year-olds, I've, I've got one as well, and they teach it much. So <laughs> yeah. that's that's wild how that sparked such a, a long journey. And, and, and it's cool that, uh, you know, we don't stop there with a, a nice little metaphor. <laughs> yeah. We got a boatload of research now to back it up. So can you tell us then, well, that's kind of a, an interesting way to, to think a little bit differently. You know, what's sort of at stake or the benefits associated with pursuing uh, subtracting as opposed to adding? Fundamentally, what's at stake here is that it's a basic option that we have to make things better, whether we're creating a Lego structure or whether we're trying to improve our daily task list, whether we're trying to improve the thoughts that are in our head, we can add things to them and we can also take things away. And what the, what I did in that moment was I thought I didn't even think about taking away as an option. And I would have added and moved on, never even considering if I wanted to subtract in that moment. And uh, if not for being shown the other way by my son. So that's the problem. The problem is that we're not considering the options. The problem is not that less is always better. In fact, I quite like adding. But I think that any time that we're systematically overlooking a basic way to change things, that's a problem. Certainly. Yeah. Let's doubling our, our options. Sounds handy for sure. <laughs> Could you share with us maybe some cool case studies in terms of, of professionals who've done some subtracting and, and seen some really cool results and benefits? So the downside, right, is that we systematically underuse it. The upside is we don't have to. And because everybody else is systematically underusing it, the, there's kind of additional power in taking things away, right? This is an untapped opportunity. And so I think uh, you see that everywhere, really. When So one example uh, is the craft of good presentations. I know you've had some people talking about that on your podcast before, but like one, one of the elements of a good presentation is that all the kind of unnecessary stuff is stripped away, right? You know, Edward Tufte, who's this guru of information design, talks about maximizing the information to ink ratio, which basically means stripping away any ink that is not adding to your message. And so that's something in PowerPoint presentations or posters or any kind of like kind of visual displays. But obviously you can see the same thing in in editing, right? So editing writing, also editing podcasts, right? I'm sure you're going to take out some of the stuff that I say here today. Oh, not much. Not <laughs> much. <laughs> so that is a very powerful subtraction that improves the overall product by taking away. So that's subtracting in kind of the information way. I think on a personal level, and you know, I'm not I'm certainly not the first person who has thought of this, but thinking about what you can stop doing, especially at work, right? Because at work we're so inclined to show competence. And this is one of the reasons that we tend to add, I think, is because adding shows competence. And but reminding ourselves that, hey, like one of the ways to make your work life better is to stop doing marginally useful tasks so that you have more time for the for the really useful ones. So forcing myself to 
you know, when I'm doing my to-do list, also thinking about, okay, what's on my stop doing list for the week. And it's, it's critical that it can't just be things that you're going to say no to. It has to be things that you're already doing and now you're going to stop doing them. That's an actual subtraction from your calendar. And it's good. It's like saving money. It's like, if you buy something that's 30% off, you haven't really saved money. <laughs> but right, exactly. if you remove something that, you know what, I, I don't even use that thing. Cancel that subscription. Okay. Now, now you're saving some real money. So that's cool. Well then, and I'm curious, so now you've got a boatload of, of science and research behind it. Could you share with us what are some interesting insights, experiments, and results there that have, have yet taught you something about how we humans tend to operate and, and how we might operate better? Yeah, I mean, so building from the bridge with my son, we did have one Lego-inspired study here, and basically you could solve this Lego study. There was a, a platform that was protecting a minifigure. And the task was to try to stabilize the platform so that you could balance a, a brick on top of the platform without crushing the minifigure. And basically you could solve this by removing one block and like kind of letting the platform set down, or you could solve it by adding eight blocks and stabilizing it that way. So in this case with the bridge, it was like either, or, you know, either way could be a viable solution. In this case, it was obvious that taking away was better. We even incentivized people and said, Hey, every block you add, you have to pay for, but if you don't add blocks, you can keep more of the, the money that we gave you up front. And people still overwhelmingly kind of defaulted to this, this way of adding. And so, so what's interesting about that is it shows not just that, not just that we tend to add, but also that it's a problem. Like we tend to add even when subtracting would serve us well. And, and of course, when people noticed or were told that, hey, this is a subtractive option. They said, oh, geez, I wish I did that. So that was evidence that people were systematically overlooking it. And we did this in a lot of different contexts. For me, the most convincing study paradigm was these grids that we created that you could display on a computer screen, because the argument could always be, well, that's just what people do with Legos, right? This doesn't mean we're systematically doing it. It just means we add when we're playing with Legos. But the grids on a computer screen are an entirely new task for people. And the way we set that up was there was a matrix and it was basically divided into four quadrants. And the task people had was to make the quadrants symmetrical from left to right and from top to bottom. And we put extraneous marks in one of the quadrants. So the way to solve it was to either remove those extraneous marks from one quadrant or add the mirror marks in three other quadrants. So again, as with the Lego protecting the, the minifigure, the subtracting was the better option and, and people systematically overlooked it. And with these grids, there was no kind of preconceived context or preconceived ideas that people could bring to the test. So it was pretty good evidence that this is something we're, we're systematically doing. In some ways, it's funny with like leveling a bridge. I guess I think about like leveling a table. It's a lot easier to put a little shim under there. Then it's just like, you know what, let me whip out the saw. <laughs> I'm just going to shorten one of these legs. So in many contexts, adding is easier. Adding, you, you mentioned, can reveal competence. Like, oh, wow, you must know a lot of things because look at all those slides you made there. And so, so there's a little bit of a, of a nudge or bias there. Any other big explainers as to why do we humans do this? There are a lot of reasons. I mean, it's the first four chapters of the book right? <laughs> is that there's biological, cultural and economic forces that have us doing it. And I think there's one useful distinction here is that there's this basic oversight where we don't even think of the option. And then there's all kinds of reasons. Once we do think of the option, 
why we wouldn't even pursue it. So your example of, and I certainly agree with like cutting a leg off a table, that's harder, right? But the assumption there is that, okay, we, we considered it, right? We thought of that option and we chose against it because it was harder, which that's logical. That's not a problem. Basically what's going on in the cognitive process, the reason we overlook it is because we add and then move on. So we, we say this is a good enough solution and I'm moving on without considering other options. And then from there, there's evolutionary reasons why that might be happening. You mentioned competence, right? We think of competence as a very like work-related thing and it's maybe a modern thing. I was surprised doing the, the research just how deeply rooted this desire to show competence is. I mean, this is why bowerbirds build their ceremonial nests to attract a mate. So if you're not familiar, these birds build these really great nests, the males build the nest, the females go around and look at the nest, and then they decide which males to, to mate with based on which nest they like the best. And then the females go and make their own nests to shelter the kids. So these <laughs> nests serve no other function than to say, hey, the bowerbird who built this nest is effective at interacting with their world. And so we all have this biological desire to show competence. So when I have 800 file folders saved for this research that we did, none of which are going to ever see the light of day, you know, part of that is this kind of innate desire to, to show competence through adding things. And so, so that's a strong why. I think there's, there's cultural reasons, of course, then cultural and, and, and economic reasons that kind of come together, right? It's, if your country is being measured on gross domestic product, anything that you add to the economy is going to be seen as a positive, even if it's a jail or, or something that's bad. And then if your your company is working on quarterly earning reports, that can incentivize adding stuff to, to show that you're doing more and to show that there's increasing streams of revenue coming in. So I think there's economic incentives, cultural incentives, and biological incentives, and they're all reinforcing each other. Yeah. And I guess I'm also thinking about that corporate example reminded me of, it, it seems like sometimes if you've got a really great thing going in terms of like a product and a process, and it's like, and you could just keep doing that all day. It's sort of like, well, Hey, the team's getting bored. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's, we're getting bored doing this thing that's working perfectly <laughs> over and over and over again and making lots of profit. So how about we do a new thing? I think that could happen too. Yeah. And I think that's what I like about subtracting as a, you know, I'm, I'm that kind of person, right? I want to, I want to do, and I don't want to like kind of keep doing the same thing over and over and subtracting is an action, right? So it's like, this is different than just sitting back kind of minimalism or even laziness or just getting stuck in a rut. It's like, Hey, we want to change. We want to improve this thing. We want to try something new. Why is it that we <laughs> only think about things we could add? I mean, because the other way to kind of break out of rut, if you're that organization that's been doing the same thing over and over and over again, is like, hey, let's cut out like half of what we've been doing and really focus on the other half. And that would be a change. I, again, I don't, I'm agnostic on whether you should add or subtract. And, but to not consider the option is, is the problem. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the research reveals some stuff about how we can get our brains to swim against the current, go against the grain and, and do more subtracting. Tell us how, how do we go about making that happen? Yeah. And one of the things we're trying to show with the research or trying to find with the research is whether people weren't even thinking of this. And so we would try things to get them to think of it, make them more likely to think of it. And one of the things we tried was cues. And so with the, the grids, for example, we gave people a cue that you could add 
or subtract to solve the grid pattern. And that increased the rates of subtracting, which you're like, okay, big deal. You gave them a reminder and they, they were reminded, <laughs> but it didn't increase the rates of adding. So what that showed was that the reminder was bringing new subtractions to mind, but for adding, it was redundant with what people were, were already thinking. So it was really useful for our research, but also really useful as a how-to. And so I think, you know, one thing is you have a reminder that you can add or subtract or add and subtract to solve things. But it's really important. We didn't find any evidence that that reminder would kind of carry over from one study to the next. So you have to put those reminders close to where you're making the decision. That's why when I'm doing the the stop doing list, right? I mean, I'm forcing a reminder that subtracting is a way to improve my calendar. One of the things on your your sheet, you talk about your listeners, right? And you talk about them being interested in thinking. And you you put a reminder on there about thinking involves generating and selecting ideas, which is beautiful because it's like that's a reminder that adding and subtracting can be used here in our in our thinking process. And actually mimics something that I talk about in the book, which is that, you know, evolution generates and selects to make progress. So, so having those reminders at the point of when you're making the decisions or when you're trying to make the improvements is really important and supported by the research. Lovely. Okay. So we, we got some reminders up front as maybe, could you share with us some of the coolest examples of subtraction in terms of someone did some subtracting and then they, they saw great results. So you mentioned you've got your stop doing list. What are some things that you've chosen to stop doing and, and the cool fruit that's come from that? Email. I know. Nice. You stopped doing email. How's that work? <laughs> I haven't stopped completely, but I think, you know, just forcing myself to be disciplined with doing it one time a day. And so, you know, I position that stop doing is like stop these intermittent email checks. And what's interesting about that, of course, it has this amazing effect where I'm not distracted throughout the day, but it also like decreased the stream of my email because part of the problem with me getting so many emails was me sending so many emails, right? So every time I spam my graduate students with, hey, did you see this article? Then I'm distracting them. They're feeling a need to, to respond. And then I have like, distracted people working with me. Plus I have six new email responses in my inbox the next time I go to check. So, so that email discipline that stopped doing has actually led to kind of cascading subtractions. Another personal one that's really helpful is kind of just unplugging when I exercise. And again, like gathering knowledge is just so precious. I mean, I listen to podcasts. I, I read voraciously on Wikipedia, but I had been kind of using my exercise time is like, okay, can I catch up on the news while I'm running on the treadmill while I'm listening to a podcast? And it wasn't giving me any time for my brain to kind of like synthesize things and think about what's what's really important to select. So those are two kind of personal ones that are, are work-related. Well, certainly, and even if they're not work-related, I'd love to hear what are some cool subtractions you've seen in action? Well, yeah, one of my favorites is the balance bike. So I th you said you had a three-year-old? That's right. Do you have a balance bike? I don't. You don't? Oh, man. So this is the value that I'm providing right now. <laughs> uh, there are these miniature bikes that don't have pedals, and they allow the kids to ride them like a Flintstones car, basically. So the kid balances on the bike and then just pushes, propels it with their feet. And what's amazing is that the kids learn how to balance within like 
30 minutes to an hour of like walking around on this thing. So very quickly, they can reach really high speeds as like a two-year-old on this bike. And what's, what's amazing about it is that well, the the power of it, I think, is it gives kids like two extra years of bike riding, which I think is a very delightful thing. I'm disappointed that we didn't have them when I was growing up. Also, the innovation there is removing the pedals. I mean, people have been thinking about better bike design for a hundred years at least, and there's been a lot of profit to be made. And people, what did we added training wheels? We added like connections from the kids' bike to the grown-up bike. We made fatter tires, fatter tubes. And it took all this time for somebody to think, Hey, what if we subtract the pedals? What will happen there? So, so I think that's a beautiful example in the physical world. And then an example I use in the book is Bruce Springsteen. He's a prolific artist, obviously, but one of his albums is darkness on the edge of town. And it's one of his most critically acclaimed albums. And what's really unique and noticeable about that album is that he really stripped things down. And so one, he stripped down the number of songs on the album. He recorded like 50 songs during that time period and only a few of them, you know, a dozen or 10 made it onto the album. And he stripped away some really good songs that became hits for other artists. But then the the music itself is very stripped down. So the wording is sparse and the, the music is compact and powerful. And what's cool about that is that he subtracted, but also he kind of showed competence by subtracting because it's not that we can't show competence by subtracting. It's just that you need to probably do more of it for your subtracting to stand out. And so everybody, when they heard this album, and if you're a Bruce Springsteen fan, if you're listening to his albums, you're like, well, this is different. Even if you don't know why it's different, like this is different. Something, something happened here. (laughs) And so in the subtraction that he persisted with there led to this kind of innovative change in, in how music was made. So whereas the balance bike is a physical example, the subtraction in his, his music is a very uh, kind of ideas slash words and music example. And I'd also heard that married couples that don't have a TV in their bedroom have more sex. So if you didn't think we we're good, I don't know if you thought we we're going to go here today, but... <laughs> <laughs> And so I think that's, that's an interesting example. And it sort of makes sense like, Hey, well, our focus is on each other as opposed to that large eye grabbing device (laughs) that had half of our wall. (laughs) That's such a beautiful example. I'll tell you what, and it's really annoying to be doing these podcasts after writing the book and thinking like, Oh, I wish I could have used the, the TV sex example would have been way better than the, the example I used in the book to illustrate this principle, which I'm about to say, which is that like, So often when we're trying to improve a situation, like we think about what incentives we can add, right? So it's like, okay, the goal is like, let's, let's have more sex. And so can we like put in mood lights? You get the idea. There's a lot of things, a lot of incentives we could add for, for having sex. And then we often overlook the barriers to the behavior we're trying to produce. And so the, in this case, the barrier is that TV. What's interesting with this and the argument that people make, uh, like Kurt Lewin, like the founder of social psychology, said there's two ways to change a situation, right? One is to add incentives or and the other is to remove barriers. And he said removing barriers is actually the good way because it relieves tension. So imagine if you add the incentive. Well, you still got the TV there, right? So it's very clear that the incentive might work. Yeah. But if it doesn't work, there's still this like kind of you've got the incentive plus you've got the TV and you haven't like actually relieved the fundamental tension in the system where if you strip away the TV, you've actually relieved tension in the system. The example I use in the book is uh, an iPad with a kid. So it's so close to the example, but it's so much better than the, the example I used. 
Well, it'll keep going with the iPad and the kids. So if you... So the behavior is, in that case, is I'm trying to get my kid to spend time not looking at the iPad, right, when he comes home from school. And so one thing you can do is say, hey, if you don't use the iPad, you can have a cookie, right? That's the incentive version. And in this case, if he doesn't... So it may work. He may eat the cookie and and be happy and never think about it, but... Or he may want to watch the iPad still, which increases his frustration because now he's not getting a cookie because he's watching the iPad, right? So you've increased the tension in the system. Whereas if you, you know, kind of the equivalent of removing the TV is just removing the iPad from the, from the kid's view and hope that he doesn't think about it. Well, that notion of removing the view, I think is, is huge because, well, it's true. It's so funny. Sometimes I just want to take a photo of the adorable thing my child is doing. And then when I get out my phone, you know, it's like, oh, can we play the preschool games? It's like, I just want to take a picture. This this is going to be like three seconds. And and so then now we have a bit of a, well, hey, no, you know, we we did that earlier. (laughs) You've got that whole thing. And so could you expand upon that in terms of some things that maybe we just want out of view and how we get them out of view? I imagine there's like social media news distractions and there's some apps you can use to like block those or shut them off. Or what are some maybe creative ways you you've seen this put into practice? Yeah. To get them out of view to, I mean, that's what, essentially what the email is doing, right? The, the, the not mm-hmm. checking the emails, but also like the email reminders. Um, I've got my good friend, Ben, who worked with me on the research. He's like, I got to figure out how to turn off my email reminders. And this is like four years into the the research together, which is like, this is kind of forced automated adding that's distracting you throughout the day. And so, so things like that come to mind. I heard that there was a study that they challenged folks to turn off all of their, their phone notifications for like a week or something. And then they followed up with them like at a year later, half of people continue to live that way. Like, no, this is so much better. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And so it's striking how that it's good or that I, I have seen, they've actually made my buddy Jackson, shout out Jackson has, I think it's called a light phone and it doesn't have much. It's, you can make phone calls, you can do texting, maybe a little bit more, has like a Kindle style screen and, and that's on purpose. So you can't get a bunch of, of apps and all the distractions that they incur because it's just, it's just not available or, or that temptation. I guess now I'm thinking about like tempting circumstances like alcoholics, you know, like, well, you know, mm-hmm. or, or overeaters or gambling, <laughs> you know, there's any number of ways you can just make sure you're not in the presence of of those things, which lead you down there. But I, I'd love to hear. I guess I'm just I'm just so intrigued by this because if people have that hard wiring, like more is better, and I want more. What are some maybe surprises you've seen in terms of it turns out that subtracting this thing was actually awesome. We've talked a lot about the disadvantages that subtracting faces, like these systematic, oh, it doesn't show competence, but, um, and we don't think of it. I mean, one of the systematic advantages is that when you subtract something, you're left with the, the new situation plus whatever you took away. <laughs> so I like the donut holes is the example I use in the book here just to illustrate it. It's like it took forever for somebody to realize you could cut the middle of the the round ball of dough and make it cook more evenly and you could spread more stuff onto it. And then it took even longer for somebody to realize, hey, this thing that we just took out is actually like another source of revenue. And so 
this applies in a lot of ways. I mean, just if you think about divestment is another thing I talk about in the book, which is like not investing in things that are kind of counter to your values. So this was really powerful in helping bring down apartheid in South Africa, for example. It's like, okay, let's stop investing in the the companies that are operating in South Africa, propping up this system that that nobody thinks is good. And when you divest, right, you've got, you take the money out and you've still got the money. You can do something with it. You can go put it somewhere else. It's the same, you know, going back to your example of the people in the business who are like, okay, we're working along really well and, and we like what we're doing. What can we do differently? What can we add? If, if you add, you've got like this existing situation plus all the stuff you've added, the activities you've added. So you're still at capacity or beyond capacity. If you take something away, then you've got the new improved situation, which is like your streamlined focus. Plus you've got this, this effort that is now unaccounted for and you can devote to something else. So I think that's one, I mean, it makes sense when it, it's explained to you, but it's also a little counterintuitive when we think about subtracting, we often overlook the fact that you can like reuse the thing that you, you took away. Whereas if you add, you've got nothing left over. Yeah. Whether it's money or time or attention or energy, you got it. Time. Yeah. Time's a big one. <laughs> cool. Well, well, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. No, I think the the key thing is, you know, across ideas, objects with the Lego bridge, and then, uh, our day-to-day situation. So the ideas one, that's for people who like to listen to podcasts and for people who like to think about how they're going to be better at their job. I mean, we spend a lot of time kind of accumulating information and we often overlook like, okay, how do I streamline my mental models? What am I kind of grounding my ideas in that I may not believe anymore that has been shown isn't actually the way that I think it is. And so spending the time streamlining our mental models is a really powerful use of subtraction and and very overlooked. Streamlining our mental models. So that's like specifically identifying the, I don't believe, think, accept, agree with this thing anymore. Yeah. And prioritizing, right? So it's like, yeah, this thing is true. I listen to it, but it doesn't warrant the same attention as these like kind of four core things that are in my mental models. It's the, you know, the intentional version of synaptic pruning, which, you know, our brain has evolved to do naturally, which is like the, the connections that get used, get reinforced and strengthened. And when we sleep, it kind of prunes away the connections that aren't being used to leave more room for the, the connections that are being used. And, you know, so our brain does that on its own for all the parts of the brain, but it also is something that we can do and say, hey, this is not something that warrants the same amount of attention as, as some other ideas that are really, really critical. Well, Lydie, could you share with us a, a mental model or two that you have pruned away as the years have gone by? This is a slightly embarrassing one to share, but I think, you know, if people are honest with themselves, I think a lot of us <laughs> felt the same way. I mean, so if you think about the systemic racism, right? I remember last summer, the first time systemic racism came up in a department meeting, everybody, myself included, you know, some people were verbally like, whoa, uh, we're not racist. And, you know, I was probably thinking that, but not articulating it smart enough to not articulate it. But I think that's certainly a mental model that's shifted this notion that, you know, I knew the playing field wasn't level before I knew that 
always, but, you know, just kind of the degree to which it was not level and the fact that there can be systemic racism with me not being racist. So, I mean, it, it required learning a little bit of new stuff, but it also required subtracting some of my deeply held beliefs about how the United States operates for people. And so I think that's one very important one that has shifted for me recently. All right. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote? Perfect. And we didn't cover it yet. So, and it relates to subtraction. So Lao Tzu has this great quote that's attributed to him. That's to gain knowledge, add things every day to gain wisdom, subtract things every day. I love the quote because it's, it's a great reminder that we talked about being important, but it's also evidence of the fact that we've been overlooking subtraction for a long time, because this is a two and a half millennia old quote, and it still rings true and counterintuitive today. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? One that I really like is uh, that I find myself talking about a lot is Ashley Willens, who's at Harvard, and Liz Dunn, who's at the University of British Columbia. They, they do a lot of work on like time and, and happiness. And they've got this great study that shows that people who spend money to save time are happy. Or, um, and they show it one reaction to that study is like, well, yeah, that's because they have money to, <laughs> to spend on like housekeepers. But, um, you know, they show it in a population of millionaires, but they also show it in people who are working on like minimum wage. Um, and they do that by kind of giving them money and setting up a controlled experiment where certain people spend the money one way and certain people spend the money the other way. So it's a really cool study. It's really powerful. And it ties into subtraction <laughs> here because like what you're essentially doing when you spend money to save time is you're like, not only are you not doing something, which we see is hard for competence, right? It's hard when you say, okay, I'm not going to, you know, do this task anymore, but you're actually paying for it now. <laughs> you're not going to do it. Plus you're going to like pay somebody else to do it. So it's a hard thing to do, but their research shows that the people who do do it are happier. So it's really great research and also very practical. Oh man, Lighty, that re reminds me of back in the day when I, <laughs> I had roommates who did not work from home and I was doing a lot of coaching. I found my laundry was kind of piling up during busy season. And I was like, well, I mean, this, this is good money per hour from the coaching. Am I just supposed to stop and, and do laundry? It's like, but am I going to wear dirty clothes? Like, what are my options here? And so even though I was working from home and there were like eight laundry machines on the first floor of this apartment building, I paid someone to come in and do my laundry. You can have a laundry service, Lydie, but then they don't put it in your drawers and closets. And so I felt a little silly and decadent, but like I, I kept looking at the spreadsheet as like, I will make more money and have clean laundry if I pay someone else to come do this for me. But I don't want to feel like I'm, oh, I'm so rich. I'm too good to do my life. But I, yeah. I had this mental block, but I did it and I loved it. And my roommates made fun of me, but I didn't care. <laughs> yeah, that's a great example. That's the exact feeling that I have when I do it. It's like, who am I to be this yeah. guy who, who hires a, a whatever, but yeah, it's exactly that. Like number one, the, the money that you're making. And then when you've got kids, it's, or, you know, it's the, the free time that you're losing, right? This is like an hour of my kid's life when he actually thinks I'm cool. I don't want to, mm -hmm. I don't want to lose that. <laughs> so yeah, you've given us a, a really good way to overcome that. And Willens and Dunn talk about this is like, think about the value of your time. And then also another reason that it's kind of hard to do because you feel like a, yeah, you feel snooty. And how about a favorite book? 
I'm biased towards the ones I've read recently, but Alison Gopnik has this great book called The Gardener and the Carpenter. It's about parenting and the like the cognitive psychology of parenting. But she's a psychologist plus a philosopher, which I think is a the perfect combination for for parenting. And it's just, I mean, it's just an amazing parenting book. Oh well, that, that's great. Well, I was just reading uh, No Drama Discipline by the authors of The Whole Brain Child, and uh, yes. I'll check out this one. Thank you. I like The Whole Brain Child, too. And then if I can plug one other author, Eduardo Galeano. So I, I love his stuff. He's a Uruguayan guy who writes kind of this amazing blend of like history slash his opinions slash fiction. <laughs> and it's just it's unlike anything you've read before. And it's uh, it's really amazing. And a favorite tool? Favorite tool. Uh, this is an embarrassing one. Wikipedia. I use it a lot. It's just so amazing. We talk about the this information to wisdom thing and the amount of work that people have done to make Wikipedia. And it's not my last stop in doing research, but it's often my first stop because things are organized around subjects instead of, you know, in isolated journal articles. So it's a, it's an amazing tool for me. Yeah. I love Wikipedia for when I've been out of the game for for news for a while. Yeah, and then there's like yeah, there's an article about the latest development and a thing that I was like, wait, wait, what was what was this thing? <laughs> and then Wiki, you go to Wikipedia and you read a four minute piece, and it has like 180 references. You're like, oh, I'm glad I didn't read 180 news <laughs> articles. I've I've read this synopsis. Thank yeah, you you're that. right. <laughs> that is, uh, I hadn't thought about that, but that's a great kind of way to subtract information and still get the same benefit, right? It's like just wait. A couple of weeks if it's important it'll be on wikipedia and not only that but it'll be like it'll be summarized right so you don't have to go get the 180 different viewpoints you can get it all in one spot and distill it for yourself totally and a favorite habit exercising is really important to me and unplugging when exercising we already talked about but so yeah just physical exercise to kind of strengthening my mental performance i mean also just because it's enjoyable but as a, the more I progress in my career, the more I realize how instrumental it is in my uh, mental performance too. Is there a key nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They quote it back to you often. Less is not a loss is kind of a counterintuitive thing from the book. So yeah, it is what it sounds like, but it's, you know, oftentimes we don't subtract because we perceive the end state as being a loss. And the, what we've talked about in all of these cases are subtractions that actually lead to something better, but it's still really easy to kind of conflate the two. And so this this reminder that less is not always a loss seems to be really helpful for people. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Twitter's great. I'm at Lighty Klotz. And I, I like interacting with people, you know, especially like people who've read the book. It's it's really fun to to hear their thoughts and to everybody seems one of the cool things about the book in my mind is that it brings up kind of people's experiences from all walks of life. So it's incredibly rewarding for me to hear, like I told the Bruce Springsteen story earlier, I talked to this guy in Germany who is, who is writing an article about the, the research for like Germany's version of MIT technology review. But he, he also talked to me about these Johnny Cash American recordings. He's like, it's just like what you're describing with Bruce Springsteen. And so now I have like six CDs. Well, six downloads on Amazon to listen to from, from Johnny Cash that, that were sparked by my book. And then he shared with me and it's made my life better. It's very self selfish authorship here. It's like, what benefit can readers give me oh, yeah. from reading? <laughs> <laughs>
Ed, you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, add and subtract, right? So uh, don't overlook this this basic option to make things better. All right, Lydie, this has been fun. I wish you uh, much, much enjoyment in all of your subtracting. <laughs> Thank you. You too, Pete. I really appreciated just this fresh perspective and how it can apply to everything. For example, any tiny little problem. It's true. My bias is uh, frequently I should buy something. (laughs) Have a tiny problem. I'm sure Amazon could send me something in one to two days to make it go away. For example, I was strolling outside in a, a lovely area which I do for little little breaks from work. I take a walk. There's some nice green around. And I was thinking, boy, you know what? As I'm listening to stuff like, you know, music or a podcast or an audio book, I don't like that these earbuds I have kind of have a bit of, you can hear your thump, 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 you know, with each step. And I feel a little bit disconnected from the world. And I hear some lovely birds chirping, but I don't hear them as much because I got these things in my ears. And I know it's not a big problem. I'm certainly not at the top of the list, but nonetheless, I was thinking, um, is there a solution to this? Maybe I should buy something as I often think. My buddy Brent says he thinks his bone conduction headphones are really cool, which don't actually go into your ear. And it's sort of an innovative technology, which is kind of interesting. And uh, I do have that bias toward the new and to adding, but I thought, well, well, wait a second here. There aren't very many other people kind of walking on this trail. And if I pass them, it's really only for a couple seconds. And if I just crank the volume on my phone and stick it in my pocket and subtract these earbuds entirely, I can still hear the stuff. I'm still open to the world and hearing the birds chirp and and all that good stuff and absorbing that audio piece of nature. And I'm hearing my thing and I've effectively subtracted the earbuds and I am left with more. I could even choose to sell those earbuds now if that's the only thing I was using them for. And then I've got what I was looking for and more money. So anyway, cool stuff from Lighty. I just recommend you install that into your brain in terms of whenever you're solving a problem, like, oh, I got to buy this. I got to add this. I got to, you know, implement this new thing. It's like, hmm, maybe I could subtract something and see where that takes you. So again, those show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP684. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, Check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.